0: Welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast by Scott L. Wyatt, president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit www.suu.edu forward slash president's podcast, where you will find both the audio and a written transcript for today's podcast. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, the president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. I'm your host, Steve Meredith, and I'm joined in studio today, as I always am, by Scott Wyatt. President, how are you? Terrific. Thanks. Um, we have been, I think I don't think it's been any big secret to some of our listeners that um, the nature of My schedule, and especially your schedule, requires that you and I do recordings sometimes in advance. And so we'll get together and record two or three at a time, two or three podcasts. And I I don't think that anybody would um, dispute that since the last time you and I did a podcast, the world has changed significantly around us. (laughs) Uh, We are sitting here on April 21st, 2020, carefully sitting six feet apart, and we are um, in the midst of leading Southern Utah University, as leaders of every other institution are doing, through the coronavirus um, outbreak, which has uh, had some devastation and has, has required that most states anyway, Utah among them, have some form of lockdown and that 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 lockdown has had significant economic impact and social impact. And so anyway, welcome to the COVID-19 podcast. We've spent this semester uh,
1: talking about disruptions and changes in higher education, enrollment projections, and all of these kinds of things that are happening. And of all of the disruptions, nothing <laughs> equals the one no one expected. That's right, which was a global pandemic. It's always the thing you're not worried about <laughs> that gets you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we thought Steve, we thought that it'd be interesting maybe to just talk about what it's like to be a university during a pandemic. To work at, to study at, to to lead or teach. To have different kinds of jobs, and so this maybe this will be kind of fun to just t- to you and I are doing this almost every day or every other day and and um early on, it was very intense because we were making decisions every day, and now uh, it's almost changing hourly, yeah originally, yeah, in fact, it was changing hourly, yeah. and now we're just a little bit more in smooth seas but uh, the storm is not over no of course so maybe now is a good time to pause and talk about this at the end of this semester and as we move into summer semester so this will be our last podcast for spring semester that's right 2020
0: Um, which which is a semester unlike you or I have seen in our lifetimes ever experienced yeah the I've had a lot of people say things like,
1: wow, this is the first time anything like this has ever happened. Or government's taking so much control, they'll never give it back. This is a precedent that is terrible. Or why are we prioritizing one form of health over another form of health? Or, you know, just all these interesting discussions that happen between people um, when you're responding to something that that they have never seen in their lifetime, right? But but it's but but one of the fun things is to always look at history. And so this isn't the first time that Southern Utah University has been involved in a pandemic. Um, we had the smallpox back in 1901. The university completely closed down for two weeks. Oh wow. And then in 1918, 1919, the university closed down for four weeks because of the Spanish flu or the Great Influenza, whatever we call it. All right. The poor Spaniards
0: got blamed for this, but the Spanish Kansas City flu. The, Sp- the Kansas.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, it it probably started in rural Kansas. Yeah. It might have started in China. It might have started in France. Mm-hmm. But Be- it did because... not start in
0: it did not start in spain <laughs> because this was all during world war 1 or the wrap up of world war 1 and so people were traveling in ways they may not have and in numbers that they may not have and so people brought sickness Spre- home with them spread it everywhere place. yeah
1: yeah there were three waves the wave uh, in in uh, 1918 uh, spring early summer that was a big wave and then it came back in the fall the largest number of deaths occurred in October in the United States, the second wave. And then the third wave was the spring of uh, 1919, and that was when the war was over and soldiers were waiting to come home. And, right. and these soldiers that were in camps in France, um, hooray, you know, we've, we've got this thing. The war's over. We're ready to come home. And, and then so many of them died because they got uh, the influenza and um, kind of one of those—I think that people were more angry about the deaths that occurred in the third wave than in the other waves, even mm-hmm. though the second wave was the hardest hit. But during that second wave, Cedar City had its own experience with it. And uh, beginning in October, when, when residents of Cedar City came home from um, church conference— Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints conference that was held in Salt Lake. That's right. And also came home from uh, the state fair. Um, They brought with them from the big city (laughs) um, and all the travelers that had come to the fair and to the conference, brought it back to Cedar City, and and it was really difficult. But um, the rules that were imposed back then were not national or state, they were local. And so Mm. the most restrictive rules were imposed by the mayor of this small community, Cedar City. It was against the law, punishable by fine or imprisonment, to be out on the streets without a face mask. Mm. It was uh, punishable by fine or imprisonment to get together in groups, even in private residences. You it was against the law to invite your neighbors to come over to your home and have a an evening together playing games or something. So the lockdown that occurred then was far more dramatic than the lockdown we have now. They still had restaurants open back then, so that's a different thing. Right. But if you were in the restaurant not eating, you had to have your mask on. And um, um But— but, you know, the, so this is this is such a great time to be alive right now. Because back in 1918, uh, November, when, when the university shut down for four weeks and one of our classroom buildings became a temporary hospital um, and students went home, they couldn't take their homework with them, really. And when they got home, they couldn't stay in contact with their parents professors or their friends. Right. Back then, only one-third of Americans had telephone service in their homes, and Cedar City's kind of rural, so I'm guessing that it was less than a third right. of our students would have had telephone access. Certainly, they didn't have the ability to drive around in cars, and we're at the end of World War I, so you've got all that interplaying with it. Um, so when students went home, they went home. And um, our students that go are going home or went home. The semester's over now, but the students that went home, they were able to get online and talk face to face with their classmates uh, and talk face to face with their faculty members, and and our mental health counselors can still have sessions with them. Um, wow, that this generation that has been um, sometimes accused of being overly socially engaged on technology and not socially enough engaged face-to-face right. is the most well-equipped generation of all time to be able to handle a pandemic like this.
0: Yeah. And, and what a miracle the technology <laughs> is, too, that has, yeah. Yeah, that has made this possible. I mean, even, even 10 years ago, um, we wouldn't have been able to snap our fingers and say, you know what? Over spring break, Let's change the way that we deliver every class. Everything I mean, it, it just that just would have been completely unthinkable. We wouldn't have had the no. capacity. Maybe even as or, you know, maybe even five years ago, we probably had the software, but not the capacity to do it five years ago. So, so you would never say, um, "Hooray!" That the pandemic waited till now to attack. <laughs> but <laughs> if you had to have it come, uh, it, it's wonderful that we've yeah. um, even though we've seen shortages in, uh, in grocery stores and, uh, you know, strange, strange hoarding of toilet paper and other things uh, that, that, in fact, the technology that we have has allowed us to continue business, not as usual, but continue to stay in business. Continue. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine in 1918 students couldn't graduate.
1: They couldn't. I don't actually know, but four weeks without school. It's a long time. Uh, Four months. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the student experience um, and the issues that we deal with. As you said, over spring break, um, it was fortunate for us that spring break hit when it did. Our spring break was was good because by the time spring break ended and before spring break, by the time spring break started, after spring break started and before (laughs) it ended— um, we had to make this decision to go online, and it really wasn't our decision. it was a statewide decision right. But we were able during that week to shift everything, and we were expecting something, so there had been training and work going in case we had to go online, but students found themselves um, going online or in remote delivery online, meaning the kind of class that you log into anytime you want, and you right. do the work as fast or slow as you want. And re- remote meaning that you log on to a, an online conference. Right. A Zoom meeting live. or a Google meeting of some yeah. kind. Yeah. So you still show up at the same time and get your lectures um, remotely. So the student issues were everything from, okay, we're going to go online. Are we going to do these online or remotely? Um How do we help everyone get trained up to be able to do this? Um, Do we encourage students to move back, or do we encourage students to go home? Um, How are we going to offer all the services that we have in terms of counseling, um, mental health counseling, academic advising, tutoring, all of these kinds of services that are typically face-to-face services? Um, We're going to have to adjust all those so that we can deliver them remotely. How about housing? What happens when students, if we encourage them to go home, do we give them a refund for the housing um, and a refund for the meal plans? Those, are, those have financial implications for us and, and for the students. And then we ultimately decided that we were going to give refunds for housing and for meal plans so that um, we didn't um, hurt the students financially from having to move home. But then a lot of the landlords in town um, weren't able to do that. They just they couldn't do it. They didn't have the kind of resources available to be able to do it. And so that created some tension um, between landlords and the university as a houser. Um, and then we've got all of these shows, you know, I even my daughter, who had a fine arts show to, to present. by the time the show got up um towards the end of the semester then nobody could go see it. So the shows, the concerts, the all the recitals, the yep. plays, everything to including commencement and all these things that the psychology department has their annual research um conference that is a spectacular conference. And right. nobody could present nobody could any of that. Be involved. Yep. Um tuition and fees. How do we how do we deal with tuition and fees? Um, when we're not offering the services on campus that they thought they were buying, um, how do we communicate to, uh, everything to the students? Um, that was a real challenge for us figuring out how to best to communicate. And then the international students—we've we've got a lot of international students here. About seven percent of our students are international, and what's happening with them? And um, and some of the. Sad pieces of this are that um, we've got a partnership with a university in Wuhan where this uh, pandemic started, and, um, and a lot of Chinese students, some from Wuhan. None of them brought um, this virus with them. But, but the students that we have from those countries, um, some people in the community looked at them with suspicion right, and with a lot of nervousness. And um, out of politeness, a lot of international students, particularly from the Asian countries, wear masks. So the first masks that were seen in Cedar City were being worn by them, and, and some people would look at them and think, you must be sick, I need to stay away from you, when they're either just being careful or polite. And um, And all along, we're registering students for summer and not sure what we can do about summer. And ultimately, that decision... Was mostly made for us as well. That the entire summer is going to be online or remote, so that we won't have anything being offered during the summer.
0: Now, that's that's actually a big deal for us because we we've been working on an initiative that we've talked a little bit about here. This um, get a degree in three years uh, initiative that the state had given us some funding for, and we were we were concerned um, that we were going to end up really really having a super negative impact on our summer enrollment by the fact that we weren't able to offer any face-to-face courses that has turned out to be a little bit less of an impact than we had feared i think that we we actually have seen the summer enrollments i'm knocking on wood here silently that yeah. so far our summer enrollment has has held it's not been quite what it was but it's mostly held. And again, as you suggest, we're delivering these either online in the traditional asynchronous sense, or we're delivering them face-to-face, but face-to-face meaning a, a Google Hangout or a Zoom meeting. There's not going to be anything taught actually face-to-face here on campus. And, and you know, we, we ask students a lot about what their experience has been. But I don't know if you remember, but we, we actually held a uh, a student uh, feedback loop, where we ask students. And I, I, I always, I always circle back to this because I think it was quite interesting. We, when we talked with students about this delivery mode question, um, we said, "So, was your experience better or worse, or the same, when you left after spring break and were not able to return?" to campus, to normal face-to-face courses. And I I think we all imagined that a significant number of students would say worse. We actually would not be surprised by that. Our faculty are great face-to-face teachers, and that they would um, not be able to finish in the fashion they were expecting would be disappointing to students. And so 38%, we we had more than 1,000 students respond to this survey. 38% said, yeah, it was worse. But it was a little bit of a surprise to us that 33% said it was the same. And 14% were undecided. They couldn't decide if it was better or worse. And 8% said it was better. So if you factor those that were, "Ah, that's the same, or, yeah, I can't decide, or, gee, I thought it was better, together, it's actually – a.
1: the majority of the students uh, were, f- were fine. We're fine.
0: Yeah, and and as you and I have worked with individual students, we hear complaints. Certainly, uh, as you've said, we this isn't what I paid for, or um, why am I paying a student fee for something I'm not going to be able to participate in? But a number of students and faculty have indicated to us that while they certainly. <laughs> weren't rooting for this to continue, and they'd love to see a return to normalcy. That in fact, this has actually been okay. Um, that that either delivering or receiving the course in this fashion has not significantly negatively impacted their learning, and some actually have enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, what we've what we've learned is several things relative to students, and one is that um, everyone is different and And some people are thriving in this environment. They love being home and having a little bit more flexibility. That's they right. love watching their courses online. Um, they love being able to move at their own speed if that's the the mode that they're getting their class in. They love um, putting on a nice shirt and keeping their pajama bottoms on because nobody can see the pajamas That's right <laughs> um, they love. Um, Lots of pieces of that. And then we have some students that are struggling to get out of bed because they're so depressed by all of this. Yeah, And um, it reminds me that of all the things that we're trying to teach, um, the character is probably the supreme. We're trying to help people develop grit, the ability to f- face change, to adjust their lives because the students that leave here are going to see multiple significant changes throughout their careers. They're going to have many different jobs. Um, the job that they end up doing may not have been invented yet. Um, but they're going to have a lot of disruptions. And um and perhaps this is helping them realize that they can weather storms. But it puts a lot of um responsibility on us to try to continue to deliver the services that we have and it does and have our mental health counselors continuing to stay and connect with them and uh, just really interesting it's really super interesting and and how do we register students for summer when they're expecting one thing and and uh, now it's going to be online again and how do we um, plan for fall right when everybody's worried about will there be a second wave will there be a second wave Yeah. and and if there is what are you going to do to keep things safe and Right now, enrollments are trending positive for fall.
0: I'm also knocking on wood for that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we've been um, just really super interesting.
0: Well, the reason that you and I care so much about enrollment, of course, is because um, we're just altruistic people. And we love the fact that people come to the university and that it's a life-changing experience. But in the back of our minds, too, <laughs> yours especially, you are an administrator of a large um, of a large business concern. I don't think it's yeah. wrong to say it that way. And and the the budgetary impact of everybody deciding to stay home would be dramatically negative for higher education and. SUU specifically, of course. And so the, the unknown of this for students is upsetting. And the unknown of it for administrators is equally upsetting. We don't know, what, we don't know where the bottom is, right? We don't know what right. to plan for.
1: Right. And, and even as simple as the question, do we encourage students to return after spring break or do we encourage them to stay home? Is something that
0: we spend hours talking about. Every one of these issues. Well, because it's of enormous hours. consequence. That means we end up re refunding housing, right?
1: And there's a there's a financial aspect to it. Right. And there's a health aspect to it. That's right. And one of the questions that we add is, is, um, is it safer for the students to return to a rural environment like Cedar City or go home to a big city where there's a lot more uh, chances to get the virus. Right. So those were all the kind of questions. Um, And literally, it was every day or every other day. Speaking of students, let's talk about athletics for just a moment. Oh, wow. Um, Most people probably know that the athletic conferences – um, s u u is a division one school part of the big Sky conference. We have a lot of rules that are imposed on us by the NCAA, and some of those things we we just don't have a choice on but a lot of the decisions are made at the conference level, and the conference is governed by the presidents of all the member schools and so um, as this thing was as this um pandemic was just starting to to really uh, spread. We were in Boise, Idaho with the tournament.
0: That's right. Men's and women's basketball. Men's and Big women's Sky basketball basketball tournament.
1: So the basketball tournament is occurring, and during that um, those few days, we have a lot of meetings of the governing body. And I remember sitting there um, talking about whether or not—well, it was the third day of the tournament out of six— So most of the schools had played their first game or two. Some of them had already lost and were on their way home. Um, But the question was posed, what are we going to do? Other conferences have canceled their tournaments. Um, We're halfway through ours. Do we continue? Do we not continue? And uh, the options were cancel the tournament or continue the tournament without fans and if we continue without fans, who do we actually allow in? And, uh, and so we spent a lot of time debating this, and it was not a close—I mean, it was a very close vote. But we decided to continue the tournament. Everybody was there. Um, there were no verified cases in Boise at the time. And, um, and then, so we're going to continue with the tournament, and we're going to continue without fans, but who are we going to let stay? And so we spent all this time talking about, do we let the cheerleaders stay? Do we let the bands mm-hmm. stay? Mm-hmm. How many family members are we going to allow to come in? Um, so each, each student athlete can have five tickets for their family that can watch. Everybody else has to go home. And we finally decided that we were going to let uh, the bands Stay and the cheerleaders day and then we moved on to the next topic and within 30 minutes the commissioner said ah just off the wire and listed five conferences that had just canceled their tournaments wow some of them at halftime of a game
0: mm.
1: and um, we looked at each other and said i we just revisited the decision and canceled the rest of the tournament from then on out. And then the next question was, what are we doing with all the spring sports? And and um, some conferences, this is a big financial decision. It's not for us. Um, there's no finances really involved. Um, in fact, if we cancel it, we're probably financially better off. We We lose money on athletics. We don't gain money on athletics. But for us, you know, it's... It's mostly oh, I just feel so bad for these students <laughs> that have worked so hard, and some of them are seniors, and this is their year to be to win a championship, yep. and we're taking that all away. Yep. It's like canceling the Olympics it is which has for, happened. for them which has happened <laughs> um, but those are all um, really difficult challenges, and then in terms so we ended up canceling the spring season, as did all of the programs around the country, and right. then then we had all these rules about you can't. You can't train. Uh, you can't get into the gyms. Uh, you can't practice together. The runners can go off all by themselves and run, but if you're a defensive lineman, you can't go lift weights and you can't you can't practice. Hmm. So, um, and so we nobody's training, nobody's practicing, uh, no sports, all the championships canceled. And then a whole series of other questions come up. Are we going to be able to do this in the fall? Right. What about the seniors that didn't get a championship? Are we going to let them come back for one more year? And the NCAA said, if you're a spring sports student and you didn't get a chance to go to a championship, we're going to let you come back for a fifth year. And and that has an interesting impact. Um, As that makes five years of students instead of four, which increases the cost for the school's and disrupts all the recruiting
0: and everything. You thought you had a certain number of scholarships, yeah. but
1: now you don't. Now, you, now something's different. And then fall. And I was talking to a president of another university because what's what we're waiting for right now is um, what to do with the fall sports. And we can plan to go forward. But if we can't get them together to start training until the end of July, you can't Safely put, Division One football players on the field one month later. So we can't do that. So are we going to delay the football season, or are we going to move it till spring, or are we just going to cancel it? And I was talking, and those decisions haven't been made yet. Right. By the time our listeners listen to this, um, it'll be close. Maybe it, it'll. The decision yeah. will be close, or else it'll be. Uh, We'll send this out, and then within a day or two, that decision will be made. So it may be made by the time they listen. But, but, the, but I was talking to the president of one of the big schools who said, if the football season is canceled, we lose $55 million. Wow. If, our, if the football season is canceled at SUU, we gain a couple hundred thousand dollars. We're not making money on athletics. It's a, it's an expense. Where some schools they make money. So, um, just all these all these interesting pieces that play together. So athletics is one of those big ones that is that is really actually quite difficult. Yeah, to manage. Um, well, as we talk about um, athletics, then the next students, the student experience. Uh, which includes uh, athletes and artists and musicians and everything else. Um, the next question is, uh, how about the faculty and the staff and the employees? How how are they responding? And um, we we ended up making a decision that, based on the requirements, that everybody should work from home. And that was a slow decision. Steve, you remember we... We'd debate yeah, something one day, and then we'd change it the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, as we just kept revisiting this question as more information came out. Finally, we landed on encouraging everybody to work from home that could. But if somebody, if somebody's job didn't allow them to work from home, then they could come in. And if for some reason somebody's job made it really difficult to work from home, that we would let them have the discretion to make that call but asked them to make sure they socially distanced when they came in, and that we were extra careful on keeping things clean. Um, and uh, and so we have a variety of people that are coming in.
0: But for the most part, the campus
1: for the most part
0: is everybody's home. It's not closed. There are signs on every office door that say, "Hey, if you want help, visit this website or call this number, and we'll be happy to help you." Yeah, but there aren't people inside most of those offices.
1: Yeah, the That's right. The receptionists, the faculty, everybody's got a phone number at home. And so now uh, everyone's trying to adjust to being at home and working and in the midst of all this it was the decision to close the public schools. And a lot of our faculty and staff members have small children, now
0: have children at home. That's right.
1: So now they're homeschooling, not completely, but largely our school district's been great, and I think school districts around the country have been great to to have their teachers help and send things home with them and all that kind of stuff. But, but nevertheless, uh, parents are now the disciplinarians mm-hmm. and the teachers and the tutors, <laughs> yep. the babysitters, depending on the age of the students. And uh, so now there's just this huge
0: distraction
1: and uh, makes it really complicated and hard for people to work.
0: I've told you that— I think the internet has never been more creative and interesting than it is right now and that's one of the funny memes that's been going around um I can't wait to meet my my child's teacher for next year she's got to be better than the teacher she's got now
1: <laughs> yeah I, I
0: think I think parents are they're struggling with that part of it not not just the juggling of of job and uh, and helping their children, but but the fact that um, you are just together on top of each other all day long and all night long and all night long. Yep.
1: And what we're learning about our faculty and staff is the same thing that we're learning about students, and that is that some of them thrive on this environment. That's and right. Some of them are struggling.
0: I. So, President, that's a, that's actually interesting. Do you think do you think you'll that we will see some things that that never come back the way they were? I mean, are we going to uh, just now looking at something that we've been discussing here, are we going to suggest that some people continue to work from home after this is over? We save office space. We don't have to heat or cool quite so much of the campus. We uh, we have better parking that way. Is I mean, there surely there are things from this pandemic that we'll probably do differently going forward. I imagine handshakes will maybe make a comeback but maybe never to the point that uh, that yeah. they were before you know what do you think about that
1: well we have that's a great question and it's a it's a very personal question for each employee but but we before this whole thing started we had a whole bunch of employees that were working from home mm. some of them live in Las Vegas and some of them live in Texas that's right and um, they're very productive do a great service and we're happy To have them as our employees, but we may be learning that there's another 10 or 20 or 100 or 200 employees that say, you know, after working from home for quite a while, I think I like it. Can I stay? Right. And if they do do that, you're spot on. The taxpayer and the student who's paying tuition can save money because we don't have to build offices or parking lots or anything else. And for the state as a whole, the more people that work from home, the less traffic there is on the roads. And right. So we have to spend less money on roads. We have less air pollution. Um, just all the way around. Mm-hmm. And for some, they, they, they. Um, I've, I've got a variety of kids that are working from home, as, as do you. And um, <clears throat> one of them cannot work at home; just cannot do it. He's a very, very productive person. But when he's home, the kids distract him, and he's got all these things that remind him of all of the non-work stuff, and it's just hard for him to motivate himself. So, right. he, so he goes into his office, and he's the only one there and really productive. And then I have another, um, another one that it took him a few weeks, but now he's really enjoying working from home.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it, we, were, we were saying the other day, you've been, you've been really good about having campus forums. And in the past, we hold them in a, an auditorium on our campus that holds a couple of hundred people. Um, the attendance at the online forums has been significantly better than our face-to-face forums. And, and the interactions have been more interesting, more pointed, I guess, in some ways. Uh, people yeah. are not afraid to ask difficult questions that they might hesitate to ask in a social situation uh but you also have not been afraid to to answer candidly maybe even more candidly than if you were in a uh, a room full of 200 people um and so doubling the number of people that hear uh, a a given forum that, uh, that we may we may decide online forums are the way going ahead
1: yeah we've had you you're absolutely right and the some of the if you well, my own experience, my own experience is that I miss seeing these students because they they're they're energizing for me to see them on campus and to smile and get that from them, but I don't miss burning up the highway i fifteen to Salt Lake and back constantly for meetings right So we just had in Utah the very first in the country virtual legislative session really, I didn't know that It was the very first one ever. That was kind of hard because they weren't able to do floor amendments right. to bills. They had to submit any possible amendments in advance. And you can't kind of sit there in the aisles. I used to be in the legislature. You can't sit in the aisles and negotiate with somebody right. and lobby you know, your right. bill because everybody's sitting in their home doing this online. But it worked. But I've been going to um, regent meetings in Salt Lake and— I got to tell you, I absolutely love sitting in my office at home or at work and um, zooming into a governing
0: board meeting. Save the wear and tear on you and your vehicle, and well, two days the of, roadway, and
1: yeah, two days worth of meetings. Just a couple weeks ago, two days of meetings. I didn't have to pay for transportation up and back, and I didn't have to pay to stay in a hotel right. for a couple nights. And uh, so on the one hand, we save money for the school. That means we're saving money for the students and the taxpayer. And on the other hand, um, I got three times as much work done because I could sit in my office, and when the agenda item had nothing to do with me or our school, I could then work on something else and listen in. And then when the topic came up that was relevant to us, then I could, I could be fully engaged again.
0: The ability to mute video is maybe the single best invention ever. That's right. <laughs> you're in a meeting, but nobody can see you.
1: Nobody can see you. And yep. I've been in more than one Zoom meeting when someone said, I haven't finished breakfast yet, so I haven't turned on my video. Right, or
0: it combed my <laughs> hair or whatever.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so the, So what, what I'm experiencing, what you're experiencing is the same thing that a lot of our faculty and staff experience, which is if it's a virtual forum, instead of leaving their office or wherever they are and coming down, they can just sit in there at their home and listen to everything and send in questions and get them answered, and and they can be more productive too. So, The faculty and staff are experiencing this the same way students are. That's right. A lot of them are telling us we like this better, and a lot of them are telling us it doesn't matter, and some of them are telling us I'm having a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. This is really depressing to me. And uh, and I think it's there's 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 no simple answer for why people respond differently, except that we all respond differently.
0: Yep. You know, I've been an evangelist for online learning uh, because of my experience here starting the Master of Music program in music technology, and I continue to be an evangelist for online learning. Um, and I've part of me has been thrilled that. We as a university have had to embrace this uh this new style of delivery in a much in a much more direct manner than I think we had ever planned to do it. But it also brings it, it brings those different learning styles and different person personality styles to the fore as well. There are people who simply will Learn better in a face-to-face environment, whether it's because they're an extrovert and they just need to be with people, or they they simply are uh, better learners. If they're if it's a tactile situ- situation, um, they need to be able to touch and handle and move uh, to be able to learn uh, more effectively. And then there are other people who who you couldn't teach them in a better fashion than in a Zoom. Uh, in a zoom meeting where they can they can read and they can access their computer for a minute And when they have a question they can try to answer it and then if they can't get it answered they can submit it to the teacher and all of that can happen without disturbing those around them and they can ask more pointed questions you know i've i've often said that that uh, this i think that the students that are in my online program feel free to be more honest and open with me about what their needs and desires for their music career really are, and and I have some proof of that because there were uh, there was a test group of students that I taught face to face for many years that then moved into the online program, and I, I I learned a great deal about those students because the interaction online is different. But for people who who struggle with that, I'm very sympathetic, and I think that they're. I I think there will always be the need for brick and mortar. Let's go to a football game or a prom kind of experiences in college. Those socialization experiences of living with someone in a dorm, of of you know, hearing uh, hearing face to face opinions that differ from yours, sitting in a classroom. Those are those are experiences that that for those students who are fortunate enough to be able to come to Cedar City are really irreplaceable experiences. But for those that, that can't be here, or in our case that the government will let, won't let people be here, um, this, this has been a, a really remarkable change. And, it, and it's, it's been heartwarming to me to see our faculty and students embrace this change as much as they have. I know it's been a struggle for many, faculty included, but yeah. it, but it's been heartwarming it's, to see it happen.
1: And it's um it's partly based on our personalities and it's partly based on conditioning. I mean I I look back at um it it seems today that much of our social interaction is work-based. And that's that's why it's really hard for a lot of people is that they really get that validation at work and that's right. with friends and and encouragement. Mm-hmm. Super important. But I I look at my um and it's the way we grow up. We don't know anything different. I I look back at um so my mother's father, who was a farmer in a small little community in southern Idaho, and maybe even um my great grandfather and mother would be better examples, but but they their entire social world was based on church and community, mm-hmm. and there was nothing social about work because every family did their labor together. and It was either a little farm or they were artisans or they had some little thing that they were doing. Back before big corporations and the Industrial Revolution and all these things, people were mostly just working at home. That's right. And they worked as families. and. Um, and it feels like we've kind of gone back to that a little bit. Circled back around, yep. Where Everybody's working at home. They're working as families, and they're teaching as families and learning. And uh, so we're certainly capable of doing that because the majority of people live that way for a very, very long time. Um, but some of, these, some of these pieces are really uh, hilarious. I, I was talking to a friend who's um, married to a judge, Who's holding court from home, oh really? Um, my son is an attorney, and he's trying cases from home. Mm. um They're not really doing evidentiary hearings, but they're doing they're doing court and uh she said that they've got uh, other family members that are at home, everybody's kind of working, and so they've got um five or six workers at home. <laughs> wow, <laughs> all trying to work in this house,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, we've, uh, got, we've got separate offices at our house where we close the door.
1: Every once in a while somebody say, everybody quiet, I'm on the phone, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm doing this. <laughs> and uh, we thought she probably needed to get some cubicles and set up the living room <laughs> <laughs> so that they could, they could operate together. But interesting, it's, we're, in some respects, it feels like we're back to the 19th century the social yep. world. Um, Except for today, we don't have community and we don't have church or other kinds of things to have social. It's mostly all gone. So it's very different than what we've ever experienced.
0: So the big question as we wrap up our discussion of what it's been like to be at a university during a coronavirus outbreak, are we going to be in business? (laughs) we've, We've spent a lot of time talking about the fact that the hard part of our job right now, and nobody's looking for any sympathy. But the hard part of our job uh, as leaders is knowing um, that, like I said, knowing where the bottom is. Do we do we think that uh, um, Southern Utah will be able to survive without uh, enormous budget cuts or enormous personnel cuts? Or what What is your thinking as of today? With with the caveat that. <laughs> Things can always change.
1: Yeah, um, I you you made a comment that I wanted to respond to really quickly right there. That um, it's uh, or or add something to it, and that is, it's difficult to have these decisions every day. But I think it might be as difficult to to be waiting for decisions to wonder. Yep <laughs> to have to have less information and be hopeful. Than it is to try to figure out how to make decisions, um, and um, the assumption is for most people that government jobs are secure and non-government jobs aren't. <clears throat> but as we as we look around the country, there there are colleges and universities that this is going to put under, for sure. And um, reading in the Chronicle of Higher Education is an example: the University of Connecticut. Lost this semester twenty million dollars in housing reimbursements, wow, and uh, other universities, one university reported that they're anticipating the potential of a one billion dollar loss Now these are universities that are on a scale far bigger than ours because our total annual budget, if you include everything, is two hundred and six million uh, but but we have a Shakespeare festival, and we have a Utah Summer Games, and we're moving forward, hoping that we can do it. But if we can't do it, then we lose more money. We lose money. So we've we've done as you've as you've alluded to. We've done a whole lot of um, as educated of guesses as we can possibly do to try to figure out what is the range of financial impact for us, and all of them are negative. Um, it's just how negative. It's just how negative. Mm-hmm. And how do we best prepare? And that is with soft hiring freezes and soft purchasing freezes and being very careful about... And that's where we are right now, as, exactly as you and I are. are recording this yep. podcast. Um, but across the country, there will be um, thousands and thousands and thousands, maybe millions of jobs in higher education that will be lost as a result of all this. But different schools, depending on where they are and... A lot of them are just going under completely. Most of them will survive, and most employees will survive. Mm-hmm. And um, we're optimistic here, very optimistic. We've said as one of our we've said is our number one goal to maintain quality for students, and as our number one number two goal to try to maintain as many um, jobs as possible, with the hope that we don't have any layoffs. But right, but the odds are there that. We may have some. So very disruptive and unsettling. And as we make all this effort to try to make sure that we're taking care of our students, we, we have to remember that the employees are going through their own set of challenges and need um, re-encouragement encouragement and, and support, all those kinds of things. But, yeah, it's really challenging. And, and we have a third priority, and the third priority is is to help our community because this university has been here since 1897, supported, sustained, and built by this community. And, and we want our decisions to be helpful to them. And, and so, for example, the Utah Shakespeare Festival, um, do we proceed with plays this summer? And we've made the decision that we're going to proceed with plays and make the decision if we have to cancel them at the last minute knowing that that creates more financial challenges for the university but gives some hope for the community that there'll be um, some Because the Utah Shakespeare
0: Festival is critical to the financial health of Cedar City. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But as we look at saving jobs and um, working through financial challenges at the university, um, we've committed and we will. We will begin with um, administration costs first. And uh, the last thing that um, will be affected will be those direct services that help students. And um, that's always important, to lead to these things from the top and not to start cutting at the bottom.
0: Right. Right. Well, it'll be interesting to see where we end up.
1: That's right. That's right. And, uh, and we will learn things from this. And... Um, one of the things we will learn is that we're capable of doing things we didn't know we were capable of doing. That's right. And we will also learn that we have more personal strength than we thought we had. Or we will learn that this isn't – some Some will learn that this was harder than expected. But that will just um, provide a challenge moving forward. And um, and I, I love looking at all of my colleagues – and seeing in each one of them a strength I don't have, and so when I see somebody struggling with something that's not a struggle for me, I just—it's easy for me to say. Yes, but I struggle with something that you do very well, and so um, there isn't good and bad. There isn't strong and weak necessarily. It's we all have different strengths. It's—it's it's like um, taking a runner who's a sprinter. And saying, you are the best sprinter ever. Now go run a marathon. And they're not going to do very well. Uh, it's just because we have our strengths. And we're put into environments that we're not conditioned for, we're not ready for, and then it's really difficult. So we have some employees that are struggling to be as productive as normal, and we're understanding of that and patient. Um, and some are being more productive than normal. And, uh, and that's great. But anyway... What an interesting period of time and um, and I choose as as you and I have talked about a lot Steve our choice is, is to do our very best and to to realize we're living through history and that these times are fascinating and by focusing a little bit on the fact that we're living through history, we're seeing things that we've never experienced before, um, we're doing our best to help take care of those around us as best as we can, um, and, and our belief, um, Steve, that there will be a shift as a result of this. It will leave us unchanged. It will leave us changed, excuse me, both as individuals and as a higher education community nationwide. To be sure. To think that every single teacher in America is teaching remotely right now and that every single student is learning remotely right now. Um, we will not come out of this. It, it's it, an astounding thought. It's an, it it is. really is. Yep. From Harvard and Yale to community colleges to rural schools to yep. urban centers, everybody is online. K through 12. K through 12. Um, Our dependence on technology has gone way up. Anyway, it's interesting. Super interesting times. It is. Thanks for the conversation. Yeah, this has been fun.
0: You've been listening to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, the president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. Wherever you're listening, we hope that you and yours are safe, and we look forward to having another podcast for you very soon.